This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. The winter meetings are over. There have been a lot of trades and signings that we're going to get to all those. Uh, but first, before we do that, Matt, you were in San Diego. I know a lot of people have never been to the winter meetings. I'm not sure what people think happens there, um, but tell us about your adventures roaming in the hotel, basically. Um, it was probably pretty, you know, not c- compared to your Rosenthal's and your fine sands and your Heyman's, it probably wasn't all that eventful. You know, a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, <laughs> things that maybe the uh, it's not as glamorous as it looks, folks. But uh, I know I made the I know I made the background of it when we network a few times walking past. Oh, no people were like, Hey, I saw you on TV. So that was my. Uh, you you weren't the next guy to fall into a pool when he wasn't. Although looking. apparently next year the uh, winter meetings are going. I've heard rumor they're going back to Dallas, which they've yes, not been. They are in Dallas. They've not been since the legendary guy walking into the. Uh, Found, which if you're not familiar with, you might want to Google it. Last time the winter meetings were in Dallas, a unidentified man was caught on a security camera accidentally walking into a fountain. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, were you surprised? We've had a lot of huge contracts, right? Have you have you been sur- surprised by maybe not the pace, but maybe the value for some of these guys? Um, not really. You know, I was actually talking about this with um, our colleague Mark Feinstein in San Diego. And, you know, we talked about how last year, you know, Machado and Harper took a while for them to sign and that sort of made the market seem like it was dragging out. The thing is, it's like there wasn't a clear market for those guys. They're obviously good players, but like a lot of teams are just like, okay, well, I don't need a third baseman. So I'm not interested in Manny Machado. And there's a lot of great third basemen in the league. So you have, you know, the Cubs weren't in on them. The Dodgers weren't in on them. So it it really limits the market. Same thing with kind of Bryce Harper, like the the Yankees weren't going to be on them. They had Stanton and Judge. The uh, Red Sox were not going to be in with bets, you know, Benintendi. So it makes it harder to create a market demand for those guys. There's only maybe a handful of teams eventually. Obviously, um, their respective agents did, and they got contracts in excess of $300 million. This year, the top players were pitchers. Everyone can use pitchers. It's not hard to create a market for pitching. So, you know, Garrett Cole is an upgrade on literally every team's number five starter. Um, Same with Steven Strasburg. So that makes it a lot easier Especially when, you know, we start with the Yankees. The Yankees, obviously, the one missing piece is a true number one starter. So once you get the Yankees involved and they're ready to go to the mat for a player, that kind of changes the changes the um, changes the landscape. The one thing I was surprised by was how much Strasburg got, especially related to Zach Wheeler, who we spoke about on the uh, on the <laughs> well, podcast. That's recently. exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, is it weird that I I feel more confident in three hundred and twenty four million dollars for Garrett Cole? than I do in $245 million uh, for Strasburg. It's obviously, they're both ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, and, you know, Cole got nine years, Strasburg got seven. At his best, Strasburg is maybe not all that far from Cole. Like, they're both incredibly talented pitchers. Uh, but, you know, Strasburg's already had Tommy John surgery. 
He had 209 innings this past year, but he's only done that twice. He hasn't done it since 2014. Meanwhile, Garrett Cole um, obviously was phenomenal, and he has thrown 200 innings uh, four different times. Like I, I feel like that matters. Like, as far as pitchers go, Strasburg has some red flags, and Cole has almost no red flags other than being a pitcher, which is a red flag in itself. We talked about this on the last podcast where I said that there was an argument. I wasn't necessarily making it sincerely, but I think that like it's not crazy to think that Zach Wheeler's pretty close to Steven Strasburg, especially when you're projecting the next five years. And he got five for 118, and Strasburg got seven for 245. Um, it's, you know, I, it's... With the Nationals, they couldn't afford to lose Rendon and Strasburg. So I think they kind of had to bid against themselves a little bit on Strasburg. I'm, I'm very curious to know what, like, maybe the, the number two bid was on him. But um, uh, obviously good for him. Um, he played his cards very well, getting that extension a couple years ago, opting out, came at a good time after winning World Series MVP. And um, it uh, that 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 definitely that's probably the contract that jumps out at me the most. On Garrett Cole, which, which of these two angles do you lean more towards first? Hey, the Yankees went nuts for a player. This has kind of got like some retro charm to it back when the Yankees were, you know, the, the quote unquote Yankees or, oh, the Yankees are just steamrolling over the league and it's not fair. And my team didn't get that guy. Um, I think more of the former. Um, you know, the Yankees have actually been sort of conservative in the last few years. This is actually the first time they've really got, I guess you could say, you could kind of say Tanaka, you can kind of say Ellsbury, but. Stanton. People forget Stanton because it wasn't a free agent. But that was a weird, I mean, that was kind of a weird. It's, it's still counts. It's I still guess, money. I guess true. It's just it was a it was, that, that was kind of a kind of a weird a weird one. The thing about the Yankees is that they've been for years they've been obviously great at producing position players, and in recent years in particular they've been great at building bullpens. But starting pitching, man, they haven't really produced a elite starting pitcher since Andy Pettit. Severino, maybe. But he hasn't really proven he can do it year in and year out. He's the closest. He's like the best pitcher, starting pitcher they've produced since Andy Pettit. I loved this story about their pitch to Garrett Cole. Uh, I'm reading this from the LA Times here. They brought a, what's quoted here as a 30-pound gizmo to the meeting. And when you open it up, it says it's shaped like home plate with a giant interlocking NY for New York. And when it opened, uh, it reveals a facsimile of Yankee Stadium with an iPad in the middle. That contains every question you'd have about the franchise, from breakdowns of all 27 championship teams to where to live to where your kids go to school, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> like, I kind of want to get my hands on that and see that. And one thing I'd also be curious to know about Cole and how much – I mean, in the end, it seemed like the Yankees, you know, the money was the deciding factor and they went to the – was they went to – was it nine, 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 They went to the – I mean, yeah. has a pitcher ever gotten anything more than seven before? Well, well if we want to go way back in the day, Wayne, Wayne Garland has got 10 years in like 1976. Okay. Um, but um, it, it seemed like it was the Yankees versus Angels to a certain, certain – Dodgers. I guess. I think the Dodgers deal was more than the Angels. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Um, I do wonder – the Yankees obviously have, have, have come to the forefront of analytics – and I wonder how much of how much of that pitch, certainly compared to the Angels, I don't know about the Dodgers. Dodgers are also obviously the forefront of analytics. Might have played. A, I'd be curious to know what how much that played a role in the various pitches, given how much analytics changed his career in Houston. Is, is that a nice way of saying what pitcher goes to the Angels and gets better? Kind of or maintain. I mean, <laughs> kind fact, of. he can't really get better. Well, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, w- there was a piece that um, Andrew Simon did on MLB.com a couple months ago. I think it was Andrew Simon. If not, uh, I apologize to the the author about how making the case that uh, Cole was the best free agent pitcher since Greg Maddox 
1992 when you factor in like more recent, than Scherzer recent dominant recent dominance in age yeah okay. and you know obviously it's it's subjective you know um but the fact of the matter is that like he's in the he's in that conversation which I think is pretty pretty significant Garrett Cole had uh 97th percentile fastball velocity 96th percentile fastball spin 94th percentile curve spin and he set the all-time major league record for highest strikeout rate by a pitcher uh, at 39%. Now, obviously, strikeouts are more prevalent than ever, but the number two and number three names on that list are Pedro Martinez, 1999, and Randy Johnson, 2001, which are probably two of the five or so greatest pitching seasons of all time, and Garrett Cole just topped that. Um, you're right. I, it's hard to think of a red flag with him. Obviously, the, the talent is undeniable. Uh, the, the injury history is great. And presumably, as he ages and his velocity drops, he seems like the kind of guy who won't uh, collapse without without the heat. You know, we've seen that happen to other guys. They just can't adapt to throwing 91, um, but he's got a couple other plus pitches, and he seems like a perfect fit. Really, the only downside for him, and who cares, he's got $324 million, is uh, he has to throw to Gary Sanchez, who most pitchers don't seem to love. But now there's rumors they might sign Martin Maldonado as a backup because Austin Romine just went to Detroit. It would be really funny if they sign a personal catcher for him, and he's like, $324 million is nice. But you better bring in Martin Maldonado. <laughs> um, one, one secondary factor here that I think is interesting is I don't want to say all but guarantees, but it suggests strongly that Aaron Judge is not going to get a long-term contract extension just because the Yankees already have so much money locked up in Stanton and Cole in their 30s. And I'm, I'm assuming that the, the current some framework of the current competitive balance tax stays the same if it changes in the new CBA – you know, that changes this conversation. But if a similar framework comes into play and the way we've seen teams try and, you know, they'll go over, but then they want to go back under, like they're already right now, basically it's done by average annual value of contracts. So both Cole and um, Stanton are over $30 million a year. Presumably to resign Judge to a long-term extension, you'd probably be getting into that ballpark as well. So it's hard to imagine the Yankees wanting to be in a situation where they were committing close to $100 million towards a $208 million uh, luxury tax to three players, especially since Judge is older than many people realize, and he'll be 31. He'll be entering his age 31 season when he hits free agency. I think that's fair. And it's interesting what this does for the Yankees. Obviously, this is like a huge coup for them. It's the deal that they needed to make, and it makes them better. It makes them the obvious favorite in the American League East, especially if Boston is taking a step back because Baltimore's terrible. Uh, you know, Toronto, they've signed a couple of pitchers, but they still don't look that great. And Tampa Bay is usually pretty good, but the Yankees might win 118 games in that division. But here's my question for you. When you are the Yankees and you sign Garrett Cole and everyone is legally obligated to have a hot take about it. I've seen so many articles and tweets and headlines that say the Yankees are clearly the best team in baseball right now. And they might be, but I'm not actually convinced they're better than the Astros yet. And obviously they took their best pitcher away. So certainly, but if you were to look at the fan projections right now, the Yankees and the Astros and the Dodgers are essentially tied. Like the Astros, we don't know what punishments will come, so there's that, uh, are still like a really good team. Like, do you, do you view the Yankees as being clearly ahead of them? Um, I think they're pretty close. I don't think it's like, I don't think, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it's, um, I think probably at this moment, my first instinct is yes, the Yankees are better just because they basically took sure. this player <laughs> from the Astros. But the Astros also have a lot of, really talented position players. And I think the some of the Yankee performance last year, um, they got some out-of-nowhere performances from some players. You that might like, say that. <laughs> that I'm not sure. I mean, maybe they are sustainable. I'm not entirely 
I'm buying DJ Mayhew. Okay. I'm sort of buying Mike Talkman, not necessarily buying Gio Urshela. Um, but remember, remember what sunk the Yankees in the ALCS is their offense. <laughs> Pitching was actually pretty decent. They just couldn't hit it all. How <laughs> part of that, I guess, was they're facing Garrett Cole. I mean, the, the Astros, interesting, are, are kind of up against the competitive balance tax themselves, which is why there's been some talk of them maybe shopping Carlos Correa, which seems kind of weird just because you'd be selling low on a guy who's kind of an MVP. He's never healthy. Yeah, so it's like I, I'd rather hold on to him and see what you can do. But the thing about the Astros is they've got George Springer set for free agency next year, and you know they want to keep him. He's kind of – I don't want to say the face because Altuve is kind of the face as well, but he's just, if not – you know, if, if Altuve is one, he's 1A – and um, it'd be weird to see George Springer in another uniform. So to do that, though, they're probably going to need to sort of clear some clear some payroll elsewhere. So the Astros lost their best pitcher, or 1A, depending on how you feel about Verlander. And uh, the Angels signed Anthony Rendon to a $245 million contract. He got the same thing as Strasburg did. Actually. It was weird. They got the, the, the exact same thing. Oh, he, he, and he got, I guess Strasburg got a no-trade clause, too. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, these contracts just are no, their own no-trade clauses. Um, and it's kind of weird because... You know, he's a great player. He's the best position player available without question. Um, and the Angels will benefit. I, I didn't realize this until I looked this up this morning. The Angels third baseman last year had the weakest offensive production of any group of third basemen in baseball. Like that includes the Marlins, the Tigers, and all these like, you know, lower level teams. The Angels third baseman were absolutely atrocious. And he's going to be the best teammate Mike Trout has ever had. Right. So this by itself, this is a great deal. Who's going to pitch for that team? <laughs> like, I'm not sure any of this matters. Uh, like, I'm not, I don't want to go. Through. Of course, it matters. It doesn't matter until they get more pitching because they had the worst rotation ERA in base in the American League last year ahead of only the Rockies. And all they've done so far was to acquire a pitcher from the team that had the second worst rotation ERA in the American League, Baltimore. Like, I like Dylan Bundy as a back end guy, fine, but they really whiffed on Cole. They couldn't convince Strasburg to come out of Washington. They really need to get Ryu or Bumgarner, or a whole bunch of rumors about Kluber and David Price. I don't know if any of those will work. Um, if they don't get two pitchers, at least, does this matter? They were like 35 games out of first place last year. I mean, they're going to get something from Otani, but I'm sort of I'm kind of a wait-and-see on that. I don't really know um, what his future holds on the mound. We've talked about this on previous episodes, that maybe he'd just be better off being, being, a, being, a, being a DH or even outfielder only, uh, because... Um, because of the injury risk of pitching and the fact that he's barely been able to pitch the last few years, even going back to his final season uh, in Japan. But obviously, being able to get something from Otani would be huge, but you're right. And I think that, like, whatever pitch that they will need to add a pitcher. And a lot of these, like, sort of secondary pitchers are coming up the board. Yesterday, Tanner Roark signed. Then we have Rick Por- Porcello agreed a deal. Um, Michael Waka. Michael Waka, Josh Lindblom, who's kind of an interesting guy that was out there uh, after winning MVP of the KBO this year. So, Ryu seems like he makes a lot of sense. Ryu or Bumgarner, right? So uh, Ryu has a higher ceiling, right? If I if I know Ryu is healthy, I, I like him better than Bumgarner. Obviously, I can never expect he's healthy. Um, for most teams, I think I would prefer like having the, the potential of higher-end performance. But the Angels, I can't remember what the stat was, but it was something like they were the first team in a century to not have a starter make 20 starts. I kind of feel like I'd rather the pretty solid chance of Bumgarner making those starts. You know who actually fits perfectly there? I'm going to say they need more than one of these guys, right? Dallas Keuchel fits amazingly there because that infield defense, you got Simmons at short. Rendon's pretty good at third. Uh, Fletcher's pretty good at second. You know, Pujols is whatever at first base. Uh, Keuchel is not great. He's a number three and a half starter, but 160 innings of ground balls in front of that, 
Sign me up. That's a really that's a really good fit. I actually saw someone tweet this out today, and then I, I, I verified it myself. Is that like this is not a non defense thing, but you remind me of it talking about these names. Is that with Rendon? Excuse me. Rendon, Trout, Fletcher, Lastella, and Andrelton Simmons. They've got five of the top like twenty five guys in like walk to strikeout ratios. They have, like these like oh yeah <laughs> really like a really good mix of players who are, can command the strike. So not just of drawing walks, but also not striking out, which is just kind of cool. Just like it's a team with like a different, you know, obviously Trout and Rendon, they're superstars, but it's just cool that they also had these other complementary players who were able to control the strikes on that way. And it's just nice to see like a, like a different kind of approach as opposed to a world where every team kind of hits the same way. Yeah. I, I still don't think the angels are that good, but I won't be mad about a lineup that by June, maybe could have Trout, Joe Adele, Anthony Rendon as three of the top four guys. See, I think, I think that they're, I would not be surprised. Billy Epler, their GM, is in the last year of his contract. Oh, yeah. I would not be surprised if they make a trade, a Joe Adele trade for a pitcher. Oh, I think you're nuts. I would no, not shock No me. way. He's like the for one. Who, who? Who do you trade Joe Adele for? Who's the pitcher? Um, Syndergaard? I, I think the Mets would do that in a heartbeat. I think the Angels might. The Angels, I mean, the if, Angels, if the Mets could do that, they would do that. The Angels are pretty desperate. They just... Took their first round pick from this year, and they basically sold them to the oh, Giants. Let's talk about that one for a second. I hated that trade. All right, so here's what that deal was: uh, Zach Kozar, who uh, was in the going into the final year of his deal and was about to be making about twelve and a half million dollars, uh, had really done nothing for the Angels over the last two years because he'd hurt his shoulder. He may never actually play again. The Giants might just release him. And Will Wilson, who was the fifteenth overall pick just in June, uh, who got a three and a half million dollar signing bonus, both went to San Francisco for. Basically, a player to be named later. The whole point was that the Giants were buying last year's number 15 overall pick, and the Angels uh, were clearing Zach Cozart's salary so that they could make room for Rendon. $12 million in terms of what Rendon got is not that much. Yeah. And you lose the $3.5 million you paid in signing bonus and the odds that he will, Will Wilson will ever be a guy for you. I don't <laughs> love that deal. Yeah, good on the Giants for doing it. Yeah. We saw that the, 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 the D-backs sort of started popularized that move. Tukey. Tukey Toussaint. Um, to I guess what was it Bronson or basically Atlanta, yeah. they, they made Atlanta take on the rest of Arroyo's contract. Yeah, I don't remember how much he had left, and they yeah. got Bill Goslin, I think. That's it, right, very good. But um, so that just shows you the Angels are kind of desperate to win right now. And if you're desperate, you'll do. I mean, I, they wouldn't they wouldn't trade Adele for for a one year guy, but someone who is under control for more than one, for two years or more, I could see it. More likely, I think they're also a great trade fit for David Price and David Price market is kind of fascinating. There's a really good piece that Mark Feinstein did on MLB.com today where he kind of broke it down because originally there was this talk, oh, David Price has got three years and like $96 million remaining. To move that contract only to attach something good, there was some talk that they would they would have to attach Benintendi to Price to get people to take the deal. Benintendi hasn't actually been any good anyway. Yeah, he's he's. I think he's kind of overrated. That's a separate yeah. conversation. <laughs> but um, Feinstein's piece after talking to people was basically like, this contract looks kind of reasonable now. Um, three, three for 96, three for 96, I mean, reasonable quote unquote, but it's only three years. Price was obviously great in the, down the stretch in 2018. He was very good in 2019 until he hurt his wrist. Well, so that's the thing I wanted to talk about. I had it in my head incorrectly that price, you know, had been kind of a bust recently. Um, and then I looked at his numbers and that's actually not true. You're right. He hasn't always been healthy. He had the elbow thing. Now he had the wrist thing. Um, but he, in 2019, when he was healthy, had a career high in strikeouts, a career high strikeout rate, like 28% strikeouts is his highest, uh, only through 107 innings. But, you know, they're 
pretty good. He was league at two wins above replacement in half a season. Um, I I think that he's a perfect fit for a team like the Angels. But he's also a perfect fit for a team like the Twins or a team like the Padres or some team that desperately needs a starter and is probably not, you know, obviously can't get Strasburg or, or Cole anymore. Um, but it's we, not Joe Adele. No, no, that's no. He would be more for someone. The thing about like he would be more for a player that was like a, a high salary player where the Red Sox could cut some as fine sense piece outlined. The Red Sox are about right now their luxury tax number is about two hundred twenty five million. The number is two hundred eight. They're trying to get below it. Apparently, it's not a mandate, but if they want it, you know, even if they want to cut it, whatever. So at least their their tax payment is a little lower. You know, price making thirty two million. You could trade them for someone making, you know, ten million to cut x you know that that much off your your payroll. The trade that makes the most sense. Here it is. I, I knew this was coming. Is to the Padres for one more. I actually think I actually think it makes sense as a one for one deal. Padres makes like. Myers makes like $22 million. For how many more years? Um, I think it's the same number of years. So I'm looking it up right now. Um, I think he's three more years. You know, he doesn't really have a position. As long as, as long as Eric Hosmer's there, he doesn't really have a position. That's more of an Eric Hosmer problem than Will Myers' problem, I think, because he hasn't been any good either. Uh, yeah, he's three more years. He's $22.5 million for each of the next three seasons. Um, the Red Sox don't really have a f- first baseman. That's probably Will Myers' best position. It makes a t- the Red Sox get to cut ten million in payroll while also filling a position of need. The trade makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I guess you could also put him in right field once they trade Jackie Bradley and slide Mookie Betts over to center field. There's that too. Um, um, is Will Myers any good? I mean, okay, last year uh, it was just slightly below league average, and if you look at his Statcast numbers, uh, you know, sixty second percent hard hit. It's actually better than I guess people think he is. Like, it kind of seems like he had an atrocious season, but he was average in exit velocity and outs above average and in outcomes and pretty much everything, even though you know where to play. I don't hate it. I, I don't know that the Red Sox would do it as a one for one. Cause like they get worse. And then that's the thing. Cause that's the thing about training price is like, they need to replace him. Yeah. I right know he's, he's like, what is he? The number two starter, the number three starter. Well, I say I'll let, yeah. Eduardo Rodriguez, I guess. Um, so that's that's kind of the big issue is that if they train him, they need to replace him. Yeah, so you got to get like, I don't know, Louis Patino or something. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, but uh, it's it's a it's a fun one it's a fun one to uh, to chew on. Any other deals that have that have kind of stood out to you so far? Uh, yeah, there there a couple of them have been interesting. I think the uh, the Dodgers going after Blake Trinan for one year and ten million dollars is fascinating. It just seems like a very Dodgers thing to do. Like maybe he's Joe Kelly, maybe he's Brandon Morrow, maybe he's Brian Wilson. You know, like they get these kind of big name hard throwing relievers who have checkered recent pasts and and pray like in 2018 Blake Trinan legitimately had one of the greatest relief pitcher seasons in the history of baseball and then in 2019 ugh, uh, he had a shoulder issue he had uh, his season ended early with a stress fracture in his back I looked into it like you can look at the metrics like velocity was down a little spin was down a little but his control was all over the place whether that's the health whether that's the ball I don't know um, if he's 2018 Trinan it's a steal if he's 2019 Trinan he's probably DFA'd by May, you know? <laughs> but we we, we, um, we talked about this on a previous episode where, you know, he was set to make, I think, like seven to eight million in arbitration from the A's. And we said, you know, he'll probably be in more demand. As a, like, he'll do better in free agency than he would have in arbitration, um, which I actually thought he might get a multi-year deal, but he might have wanted just a one-year deal to try and re- reestablish his, um, his, his market value. So he is, um, he did get, a, he ended up getting more. It was still just a one-year deal, but he ended up getting 10 million. So he beat that, beat what would have been his presumed um, arbitration number. I mean, his con- con- control last year just was like 
if, if that's a shoulder thing, like, yeah. okay, but if it's not, I mean. But in 2018, he had a 32% K rate and a 7% walk rate. Last year, it was a 22% K rate and a 14% yeah. walk rate. He allowed four times as many homers, and obviously everybody allowed more homers. Uh, but his ground ball rate collapsed, his strikeouts collapsed, his walks more than doubled. It's, I mean, it's a good risk for the Dodgers, right? What's, what's 10 million of them? And for one year, like, great. Uh, but that feels like a bullpen that needed a little more certainty. They, they have they have missed on so many of these big free agents, right? Cole and Rendon and Strasburg. It feels like they've got to do something. Rendon, right, would have been a guy like, yeah, maybe it's Josh Donaldson, whatever. They feel like a team that's going to make some weird trade because they love making weird trades, right? And this is going to end up with them taking, I don't know, Jed Lowry and Yuenis Cespedes off the hands of the Mets for Noah Syndergaard or or something, you know? Yeah, I could. They they got to get. I mean, the Dodgers right now. What's what's fascinating to me about the Dodgers is that they, as good as they are, as much of a super team as they they seem like, they've managed their payroll situation so well that like they're in very good shape, both like long term. In the short term, they're, they're high payroll, but not like a crazy high payroll. And in the long term, they're they basically have nothing. <laughs> um, so they could make some some moves that would allow them to. I, I still think that they're the the most obvious spot for Lindor. And I would trade if I were them. I would trade Gavin Lux to get Lindor and try and give Lindor an extension, would knowing you, that they have this long term sort of payroll flexibility. Would you trade Gavin Lux and Dustin May? Because that's probably what's going to be. That'd yeah, be t- exactly. That'd be Your tough, silence is the I would, answer. <laughs> I would certainly, I would certainly consider it. Um, I don't think that's actually going to happen. I, I think it's a fun thing to think about, but those kind of trades never seem to actually happen. Yeah, because the counter argument would be that basically the Dodgers, what they actually really need. They're going to win the West anyway. Yes. And what they need is pitchers who can help them dominate in. Well, they need to get Ryu back. I think that's the first thing they need to do. They need to improve their bullpen. And, you know, they don't, they didn't need like capital letter need Rendon because Justin Turner is really good, you know, and then if you move him around, you're taking plate appearances away from Max Muncy or whatever. But Josh Donaldson in that lineup still sounds pretty fun. Donaldson's going to, I mean, it's going to be, it's interesting to see that he's, he's hitting his age 34 season. He's he's, he's going to get a four year deal. He's going to get four years. Um, Which is, Seemed unheard of a year ago. So you know him betting on himself with the one year deal, the the one year twenty three million dollar pillow contract, ended up working out pretty well for him. Let's talk about uh, maybe the move I really disliked the most, and it wasn't any of the free agent deals. It was the trade the White Sox made for Nomar Mazzara. Um, Nomar Mazzara was with the Rangers for the last four years. He's only still, I believe, twenty four years old. You may remember him from hitting the longest recorded home run in Statcast history, five hundred and five feet in Texas against the White Sox, which I'm imagining played something to do with this trade because they watched it. If you remember that game, uh, it wasn't just that he crushed it, though he obviously did. There had been storms in the Dallas area re- the, a couple days before, and there's these windscreens at the now-old Rangers ballpark that were damaged, and so the wind was just flying out to right field, and he crushed it right down the line, upper tank. Um, and you can see the obvious skill there. He'd been a highly regarded prospect. He made it up to the big leagues at, I believe, 20 or 21 years old. But he hasn't been any good. Right? <laughs> he's he's a he's a perfect example of why con, you know athletes always use the word consistent as a synonym for good. Yeah. No, consistent does not mean good. Consistent means consistent because there is no player in baseball who has been more consistent than Nomar Mazzara. Consistently slightly below average. 2016 through 2019. I'm going to read you his weighted runs created plus 91. 87, 95, 94. Can I, can I follow that up with his home run totals from each of the four years? Yes, please. 20, 20, 20, 
at 19. <laughs> <laughs> and if you go by expected outcomes, just to show this isn't just like, you know, his expected weight on base in each of those four years, 326, 322, 339, 337. So he's been operating in a very narrow lane for going out for four seasons now. And, you know, he was a huge prospect who there was a lot. Of, I mean, when they when when AJ Preller was the international scouting director for the Rangers, they had a whole bunch of guys that were like going to be the next big thing. It was like him and Jorge Alfaro and Ronald Guzman. Oh, man. <laughs> and they've all made the majors and they've all had some, you know, some degree of like success, but they certainly have not been world beaters. Yeah. Even if you look at the batted ball metrics for, for Mazzara, they all say the same thing, which is average to slightly below his hard hit rate last year. 51st percentile. Obviously, if you just look at like max hard hit, like the, the hardest a person can hit the ball, he's pretty good at that. Um, but his exit velocity, 51st percentile. At defense, you know, slightly below average, 35th percentile. 43rd percentile in sprint speed. This is a guy who's just average, average, average across the board. And if you look at both of the main wins above replacement numbers from Fangraphs and Baseball Reference, they both say the same thing. He has never had a one win season. He's come close, 0.9. Let's not split hairs over decimals. Um, this is the kind of move I think a rebuilding team makes. You look at the obvious talent and you say, okay, we're going to be the ones to get something out of him. But I thought the White Sox were trying to win this year. You know, like there are still outfielders out there. How is Yasiel Puig not the right fielder yet? That seems so obvious. <laughs> you know, maybe it's Castellanos. Uh, I really, I liked the idea of Cole Calhoun there. I thought that would have been a really interesting he, fit. He feels very White sox Yeah, I thought that would have been great. Uh, but he's a left-handed hitter. Mazar is a left-handed hitter. You know, I've seen some White Sox fans saying, well, He'll be a platoon guy because he's better against righties, and that's true. But for his career, he's only been league average against righties. And who acquires a 24-year-old to be a platoon guy? <laughs> now, the one thing I'll say for the White Sox is this. Their right fielders last year were so atrocious. They were the worst group of right fielders on record, basically, like going back years and years and years because it was like Daniel Palka and Leary Garcia, and I think like Adam Engel was out there a little bit. So even if he is slightly below average, that's an improvement. And I guess there is still some hope of him getting better. But I've, I've never really looked at the White Sox as an analytical team that kind of helps their guys improve. You know, some of the breakouts they had last year seemed a little more organic, like Juan Moncada was gaining experience. Uh, you know, Eli Jimenez didn't really, like, improve so much as arrive. Yep. And, you know, Tim Anderson had a, a really nice year, but a lot of batted ball luck in yeah. Tim Anderson's profile. So I don't, I don't mind this if it's, like, the first step and they're also going to go get a starting outfielder and they're going to, you know, on the side, see if Mazzara can improve because great. But if he's like the guy for 150 games in right field, that is not enough for a team that really needed to do more. Yeah. They, I, I still, they're, they're, I mean, maybe they just think that Grandal is going to make their pitchers a lot better um, just by virtue of his framing, but it still feels like they need another starting caliber out, outfielder at least. And, and two pitchers. And, yeah. So <laughs> they needed Wheeler so bad. Um, and apparently they ran on him, which makes me think they would still be in on. They, they apparently offered him more money than the Phillies got, <laughs> but, but Wheeler wanted to stay in the East. Um, Bumgarner's still out there. Yeah. Ryu's still out there. Um, Keichel. Keichel's still out there. So they're, you know. They, I don't think they're going to be the ones that trade for David Price. You know, that would be a fun fit. You know what they should, back to Mazart, they should have gotten Chuck Peterson. If they wanted a left-handed hitting platoon guy, Jack Peterson is a better player than Omar Mazar. Um, that's probably true. They also maybe they could be a Jackie Bradley Jr. fit. That's interesting. Maybe. I mean, they already have Adam Engel, who's a great outfielder and can't hit. So, <laughs> I mean, they, they need a defender. Eloy Jimenez is a really poor defensive player. And Omar Mazar is a really poor, not really poor, but he's a below average defensive player. They need a center fielder. It's uh, 
it definitely felt like they, you know, they came out. They were the, the first big move of the offseason, getting Randall. So you, you hope that they're going to be a team that comes comes back and does a little bit more to make that because that division is still still feels maybe not attainable for them next year. But you never know. It's not out of the. It's not, winning the division is not out of the reach for the White Sox. No, I mean the, the Twins. I like the Twins a lot. Their lineup's very good, but their starting pitching is still pretty weak, right? Uh, the Indians may trade Lindor. I mean, their rotation is fantastic either way, um, but it's it's winnable. It's attainable. Um, I guess yeah, they, could, they could go. I mean, Castellanos wouldn't do much for him in terms of the defense, although we've, we've discussed him maybe being um, uh, someone who's probably better at defense than, than the metrics. Or I should say that his metrics suggest that, as you wrote about recently, suggest that he's improving in the outfield. Where do you think he's going to end up? Um, I have no idea where he's going to end up. And we've heard about the Giants. That doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Uh, you know, back to the Cubs, maybe they don't really seem to want to spend. I, I would have thought the White Sox, that would be the best fit for him. You know, like, I don't know. He's he's a really polarizing guy because uh, he had a really hot end to the season with the Cubs, but he's not that guy, obviously. And he complained about the ballpark in Detroit, even though that didn't really hurt him as much as he thinks. I guess I'll still say the White Sox, but I don't feel confident about that in any way whatsoever. <laughs> you mentioned the Cubs. Um, what do you make of them? possibly looking to trade Chris Bryant or Wilson Contreras? Well, I don't know how it's possible to trade Chris Bryant until you find out the results of this grievance he's got. How can you trade a guy if you don't know there's one year or two years? Certainly. It, you know, although it's weird, like in some ways, you could see both scenarios. Um, for those who aren't familiar, apparently Chris Bryant, you know, when he first came up, there were some questions. That he filed a grievance that said that he was held down because of service time. The grievance is, grievance is pending. If he wins... He could become a free agent after the 2020 season. If not, he'll become a free agent after the 2021 season. Can I can I take us on a left turn for a second about Chris Bryant? Yeah. I, uh, every year in early January, I, I participate with MLB Network. I do the top 10 lists at every position. And uh, I started putting mine together the other day. And I tweeted that a preliminary version of my third base list had Chris Bryant at 10th. And I've since moved him up to 9th, but whatever. And I can tell you, Cubs fans did not take that well. <laughs> and I, what I tried to say was, Look, Chris Bryant's really good. No disrespect to Chris Bryant. Do you have any good third baseman there are right now? Like the guys I have, uh, not in this order necessarily, but potentially uh, above Chris Bryant, Alex Bregman, Anthony Rendon, Nolan Arenado, Matt Chapman, Rafael Devers, uh, Juan Moncada, Jose Ramirez, who was awesome down the stretch last year and had been awesome before. And then the guys who aren't even going to make my list, Justin Turner, Vlad Guerrero, Jeff McNeil's in there somewhere, and Eugenio Suarez. I, I think it's possible to say Chris Bryant is not a top five third baseman anymore. He's still very good. Yeah, that's, I mean, he's still very good. And whether or not he has one year left or two years left, either, you can almost make an argument either way that you could say more likely to trade him. If it's one year, you're like, well, we only have him for one more year. Might as well trade him if we're not going to resign him. And if it's two years, it's like, well, we can get a lot more for him in two years. Yeah, I, I don't know what the Cubs are doing. Like, they, they still need to try to win that division. There's no super team in that division, right? I mean, the Pirates are obviously rebuilding. Um, I, I really like the Brewers getting Josh Lindblom. He seems like a mini, and I mean very mini, uh, Garrett Cole kind of guy in the sense that, you know, he struggled for a couple years in the majors. I remember back in the day, he was a Dodger prospect who was traded for Shane Victorino, which tells you how long ago that was. <laughs> uh, and then traded for Michael Young as well. And went to Korea, uh, struggle, came back, and, you know, had like a cameo for the Pirates. And then went to Korea again, has won two straight their versions of a Cy Young and a most valuable player because... Tell me if you've heard this story before. He dropped his pitches that didn't work so well, started focusing on his good pitches, and it turns out, reportedly, I don't have the data, so reportedly, has a very high spin four-seam fastball. 
he doesn't throw as hard. His velocity isn't as high. He's not going to be Garrett Cole. Um, but I like that story. And you know what the Brewers have done? They've done this before when they brought back a Eric. previous MVP of Korea, Eric Davis. Exactly. I like that. No, it's right from their playbook. And the Brewers need to do something because they, they've like lost like half the players from the team that was in the wild card. No kidding. Wild card Grandal and Moustakis. And uh, I feel like, oh, a junior Gary signed with Arizona. I'm sure I'm forgetting a, a pitcher as well. So it's, uh, it's going to be a different look in Milwaukee this year. I really like the limo signing three years for nine yeah. million changes. That's like – If he blows up, who cares? Exactly. I mean, that's great. Um, so, um, yeah, the, to, back to the Cubs. I guess I could see them – the Contreras seems more likely just because they like um, – Angels, right? That would make a lot of sense, the Joe Madden connection. <laughs> they, they almost literally don't have a catcher because <laughs> Max Stassi is coming off a hip surgery and Anthony Bemboom is the only other guy. Just um, sign Jason Castro and get it over with or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, no, Contreras, Contreras makes uh, makes a lot of sense. Before we wrap up here, Mike, I want to put you on the spot. Oh, God. <laughs> um, can you make a bold prediction for the rest of the offseason? For the rest of the offseason? Yeah, what's your bold prediction for the rest of the offseason? Um, I think this is a really good question. Um, I think the Dodgers will make a headline-grabbing trade. Of some sort. I think they have whiffed kind of hard in free agency so far. I think the fans are pretty upset about it, although it's it's a little weird because they're obviously the team is very good. They could do nothing and still remain very good. But um, they have said they want to import elite talent and shake things up. So I feel like that's going to happen. I don't think Mookie Betts is going to get traded. I don't think Chris Bryant will get traded, but I do think Lindor will get traded. You do think Lindor will get traded? Yes. Interesting. Interesting. And where do you think where do you think he's going to end up? Maybe the Dodgers. No, it's the team that makes the most sense. <laughs> can, can, I, can I ask you just quickly? The Mets signed two pitchers, yeah. right? Michael Waka uh, and, and Rick, Rick, Porcello. Rick Porcello. Um, as you've joked several times, Rick Porcello to the Mets, like a New Jersey guy, is just the most obvious thing in the world. Mets fans are super unhappy about it, and I, I get why they're both worse pitchers than Zach Wheeler. Stroman's a worse pitcher than Zach Wheeler. When I was looking into Porcello this morning, I sort of talked myself into him. One year for $10 million for a guy who's been incredibly durable. He's, uh, I forget what I said, but he's made the most, the, like the fifth most starts over the last decade. Um, the, uh, the 2016 Cy Young was very out of character. Like that was a fluke. It was also, he also only won. He also it. shouldn't he, have won that got, year. He was like sixth in, yeah, sixth in he, war. He shouldn't have won it that year. It was just he won 20 games. Uh, and then last year, you know, I think, I think he was the kind of profile to get caught up in the, in the Homer ball more than most guys. But uh, he apparently made some changes in September. And I hate to put too much stock in this. In his last three starts, 20 strikeouts on one walk. It's actually really good. I have no problem with signing a bounce back guy uh, at the back of your rotation. Is Waka going to be also in the rotation? That's the thing. Is you can't count on them both. Or the, if they trade, let's say, Syndergaard, and you can't have both of those guys in the rotation, right? Like Brody Van Wagenen says they have the deepest rotation in baseball. That is absolutely incorrect, but <laughs> I like Porcello. I like Waka as a reliever. I don't know what they're going to do. I think, I mean, if we're up to if, from 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 my perspective, they, I mean, when they when they signed Waka, and I was like, oh, this is like there better yeah. be more coming. Yeah. Um. So if they're keeping Waka as like the sixth, the depth guy, and Porcello is the number five, I think it's it's pretty shrewd. You mentioned the adjustments. He's also someone who seems like he could thrive. He's got the high spin fastball and the high spin curve, even though he sometimes in the past has fallen in love with his sinker a little bit. Um, but what was weird is he started throwing the sinker more at the end of the year and, and doing well with it. So we'll, we'll see. The Mets have a new pitching coach, um, Jeremy Hefner, who's supposedly like a very good new age blend of, uh, you know, the new school and old school. So it'll be interesting to see what he's like him more than any other. 
it'll be interesting to see what kind of like pitch mix he comes into the, into the year with. Uh, it keeps Lugo in the bullpen, which I think is where he needs to he be. He absolutely needs to be. So the, the idea of him like being switched to the rotation yeah. was kind of silly. The, their so bullpen think, wasn't good enough to lose him anyway. <laughs> exactly. So this, um, I think that's that's why the move makes a lot of sense. And as you know, as a number five, once you lost Wheeler and you're not going to go sign these other guys. You know, it, it makes perfect sense within the context of, of the offseason. I know they signed Jake Marisnik, but they should still trade for Starling Marte. They're, they're going to make some moves, right? Like, Jed Lowry is not going to be on this team next year. I could see, you know, Jed Lowry seems ripe for the, the Zach Cozart kind of trade we just talked about. He's going the Mets, to the A's. Going Mets, back to the A's. The Mets are going to attach a prospect to him and like basically give him away to someone else. I guess the issue with Nimmo is, yeah, their their, their team leans a little lefty-heavy, in the out, especially in the outfield, to the lefty bats. But, like... Uh, my Twitter mentions have been blowing up about this because I happened to tweet that he, over the last three years, he's a top 25 hitter in terms he's of wins. He's really good. Mets fans seem to think he's not, but I think that's because of like old school batting average OPP stuff. And also just like, he was there's, hurt. there's something weird. Like, he's kind of, he's a weirdly, goofy Wyoming boy. In like kind of gimmicky who yeah. like gets hit by a lot of pitches and always sprints to first on yeah. when he walks. It's just, the, there's something that feels kind of gimmicky. He also has his batted ball profile. Uh, admittedly, his batted ball pro- profile does not, Profiles a top twenty-five hitter. He's like a three fifty expected, expected weight on base. Um, but um, he, this is not. It's not three years. Granted, there's been some injuries in, involved, and that's probably the biggest knock against him is that he's had trouble staying healthy. But when he has been on the field over the last three years, he has legitimately been an elite hitter. He's ninth in OBP in that time of players with a thousand um, plate appearances. So that to me, it's sort of like him. And I guess I mean, I. I'm okay with. I'd be okay with him as your center fielder. Um, I guess the question is, you could say, okay, no, we want to get Marte to play center. Nimmo's left field and Davis, JD Davis, becomes more of a, uh, a four corners bench bat. Four, yeah. four corners bench bat, which um, I like. I don't really want him playing left field every day. Well, there's. I think there's that, and I guess you know if they could swing a trade for Marte without trading Nimmo, it would make sense because yes, yeah, certainly the Mets are a win now team, and Marte makes sense for them because it doesn't cost doesn't cost a lot of money. I so. don't know them. I don't know that Nimmo makes sense for the Pirates. They're no. very much not a win now team. But at least he's got like I think he's got at least two more years of Something team like control. Um, no, I think if the Mets were to make a trade of the Pirates, they trade. You know, they've got a couple of really good young shortstops in their system in Rosario. Yeah, Jimenez, you know, is, yeah. so they'd probably be you know Andres Jimenez and maybe a, you know a, a, a pitcher, pitching, pitching prospect. They'd be able to get it done without without trading. Yeah, without trading I, I wonder how difficult that is to trade with the Pirates because Ben Sherrington's been on the job for like three weeks. You know, <laughs> it's true. But at least the thing is he's. He's going to be wanting. He's not trading prospects. He's acquiring. If he was in a position where he's taking the job, where he was going to be trading away prospects, it might be hard because he doesn't know his own system yet. Sure. He knows how to value Starling Marte, Marte, and he's already been looking at other systems from from his time with the with, with the Blue Jays. He, his, his knowledge of the Mets system or any other system is as good as it was, um, you know, six months ago. Fair enough. That is our show uh, for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening to us in this weird conference room. Uh, we'll do one more show next week before the holiday break. I feel like we'll have some moves in the next week because it's been a pretty active like last couple of days. I mean, much like the, much like the, you said the Dodgers, I think the Mets are going to do something weird. Um, the twins kind of have to do something. Yeah. Whether weird or conventional, they kind of have to do something. And I think the angels will have a starting pitcher by the next time we talk. Cause yeah. my God, they have to. the angels may very well do something weird as well. All right. I can't wait. Uh, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next week on the MLB.com. Stackcast podcast.